welcome back to part two of this potpourri episode of Cronoso. The main attraction here is the 19th edition of Saturday Night's Main Event from January 1989. An epic Hulk Hogan and Akeem match reviewed by Steve Bennett and I on the YouTube. Richie Mars bringing us the SummerSlam 88 rematch between the Honky Tonk Man and the Ultimate Warrior for the Intercontinental Championship. Mark Poirier gives us his thoughts on Coco and Mr. Perfect. And at the end, we have two hidden gems. The first being from the Spectrum. Jake Williams will bring us Ted DiBiase versus Hercules in the main event. David Hall will bring us the Rockers versus the Brain Busters from the beautiful Boston Garden. But first, let's kick it off with Marcus Fuller bringing us Brett the Hitman Heart, Jim the Anvil Nightheart versus Rhythm and Blues. Or are they Rhythm and Blues yet? But either way, guys, check out this episode. This is the second part of the Popper episode, and let's waste no more time, and let's get right to it. Hey, Cronoso listeners, what's going on? It's Marcus from the uh, from North-South Connection, of course. You can find me here on the Viewer's Choice podcast and WWE War. Um, but I'm here today to cover our next match, which is Jimmy Hart's tag team of Greg the Hammer Valentine and the Honky Tonk Man taking on the Hart Foundation. Jim the Anvil Neidhart, and my personal favorite, the hitman Bret Hart. Uh, Honky and Hammer enter the ring, and they're not yet aesthetically cohesive, as they are both still predominantly singles wrestlers. Uh, Hammer is in his signature red and black robe, wearing his red trunks with the yellow boots, uh, and matching Heartbreaker, the uh, shin guard that I'm not sure has been approved by President Jack Tunney. And the Honky Tonk Man is wearing like a, a tealish, bluish, greenish jumpsuit, um, really triggers my colorblindness, so you're on your own there. The hearts enter, and they're in their patented pink and black uh, attack attire, the pink singlet tops with the black heart, the black tights with the white and pink trim, and Brett has his uh, beta version of the Hitman shades, kind of in the pit viper style that you could find today. Action gets started as we have Hammer and Anvil kicking it off in a battle, battle of power guts, which sees the Anvil level the Hammer with a big forearm, Anvil grabs the head of the hammer and slams it into the flat of Brett's boot as a tag is made. Brett is in the ring now, and he takes control of the hammer. He hits an atomic drop, which sends the hammer into his own corner, tagging in the honky-tonk man, who gets welcomed with an arm drag uh, and some offense by the hitman. Brett eventually hits a backbreaker and heads up to the second rope for his patented elbow drop, uh, but Brett gets down as Jimmy Hart moves to interfere. The Honky Tonk Man looks to capitalize, but it's the Hitman that's ready for the sneak attack. He kicks and punches away at the Honky Tonk Man, but the Hammer catches Brett illegally with a clothesline from the apron that absolutely levels the Hitman. Illegal exchange is made behind the referee's back as the Hammer enters the ring and beats up on the Hitman. A legal tag is made to the Honky Tonk Man who gets in some of his opportunistic offense, you know, the little punch and kicks that the Honky Tonk Man is uh, famous for. A quick tag is made, possibly too quick, as the Honky Tonk Man holds Brett and the hammer hits the ropes. But it's Brett who's able to duck, and the Honky Tonk Man uh, eats the contact in the form of a running elbow from the hammer. Brett makes the hot tag to the anvil who cleans house. Boom, the big forearms, the high back body drop to the Honky Tonk Man, a round of body slams, and it's capped off with a double noggin knocker. All four men are in the ring. The hearts whip Honky and Hammer into each other. They meet in the center of the ring. Uh, 
The anvil hoists, hoists up the honky-tonk man for the heart attack, but the hammer clubs Neidhart in the back. Uh, Brett bar brawls with the hammer until honky-tonk honky man joins in for a two-on-one advantage. Honky-tonk man and Brett go to the floor. Hammer uh, turns around his shin guard and applies his figure four leg lock onto the anvil. Brett comes in to make the save with two beautiful uh, diving elbow smashes as Joey Morella has lost control of the contest. Jimmy Hart looks to slide into the ring to help his guys out, but drops the megaphone in the process. The hitman uh, looks to tune up Jimmy, Jimmy Hart, but it's the honky-tonk man who ends up playing his favorite tune as he smashes his guitar onto the crown of the skull of the hitman. Anvil grabs the, the, the gimmick, the, the megaphone, and he goes to a clear house of the ring. Uh, our, our, our heels leave the ring and it leaves the anvil to check on his partner. As we hear the official decision from Howard Finkel that this contest is a double disqualification as Vince and Jesse pitch us to the event center. So thanks for having me here on Cronoso. I hope to be back and hopefully back to cover another uh, Bret Hart, Hart Foundation match. Again, you can catch me here on the North-South Connection with Viewer's Choice Podcast and also with WWE War. This has been Marcus. champion of all time telling the ultimate warrior that he has met the ultimate challenger the honky-tonk man can sing better dance better play the guitar better and wrestle better than any lunatic with makeup on so tonight i get my belt back because that's what all of you at home want you're a beautiful audience <laughs> thank you for your support that belt would have been mine if that bushwhacker outlaw rod bass hadn't cost me my title shot so, I've challenged Bass to a match in which loser gets his hair cut by the winner. Bring your spurs and whip out, Law. I'll bring my clippers. When the strutting and the cutting stops, your head will shine, for I'm not the barber. The slickster here reminding you as we enter the new year that there are more important things than titles and belts. Things like brotherhood and fair play. And that's why me and Brother Akeem here are here tonight to rid wrestling of its evil influence, Hulk Hogan. And we pledge tonight never to rest. Not me, not Akeem, and not the big boss man until Hulk Hogan is gone from the World Wrestling Federation. Oh, my honor. Honor? The Slickster doesn't know nothing about honor, man. He just knows about lying and cheating. He and the big boss man, they tried to put me away, but couldn't do it. So now he brings Akeem. Akeem, I don't know where you come from, but I do know where you're going. And the 24-inch pythons, they'll sure point the way.
everyone, I'm Coach Devan along with Jesse Devante Ventura and tonight, the Intercontinental Championship up for grabs, the reigning title holder, the Ultimate Warrior, to square off against the former champion, the Honky Tonk Man. Well, Honky's had time to prepare this time, and I think the results are going to be vastly different against the Ultimate Maniac. And what about the main event, the Hulkster, to meet the 500-pound Akeem? You know, 1988's been a great year for me. I saw Hogan take the beating of his life at the hands of the big boss man. And I think the rest of Slick's army, Big Akeem, is going to do in Hogan. He's ripe for the picking. And what about our special haircut matchup? As we will see outlaw Ron Bass square off against Brutus, the barber beefcake. And Jesse, you know a little something about losing hair. Hey, don't talk to me about that. The only baldy around here is that little bald maniac, Mean Gene, that midget. I think he's standing by. Hello, Canoso listeners. We are here to talk about the state of the WWE from January 7th, 1989 for Saturday night's main event. First, let's go over the champions. Your tag team champions are Demolition. Your Intercontinental Champion is the Ultimate Warrior. And still, your World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion, Ooh yeah, Randy Macho Mean Savage. So, tonight's event is taking place in the Sundome, which is now called the Yungling Center. The construction started in 1977. It opened in November 29th, 1980. It is located in the University of South Florida Athletic District, and it's been home since its opening of the men's and women's basketball team and the volleyball team. It also is home to the Tampa Bay Strikers of the National Indoor Soccer League, and also home for most of the familiar was home for the WWE Thunderdome. This dome, which really doesn't have a huge history, but we will go over it slightly. The very first event that was held here was a men's basketball game, followed by a concert by none other than WWE alum, Alice Cooper. Also, it has hosted many, many singers such as Frank Sinatra, Drake, Madonna, and also the Grateful Dead. When it got, when the Sundome got redone to the Union Center, one of the very first concerts was Elton John. It has been home to the very first Saturday Night's Made event in 1985. It has also hosted a, it hosted a pay-per-view, the Royal Rumble in 1995, which becomes famous because a soon-to-be, a rocker who becomes the first person entering at number one to win the Royal Rumble. Speaking of Royal Rumbles, just so you know, in this time in history, WWF was getting ready for the first ever pay-per-view Royal Rumble. But, I digress. Also, also two pay-per-view events that were held here, WrestleMania Backlash and Hell in the Cell. There really hasn't been much else except a UFC fight night in February 7th, 2009, Lawson versus Stevens. Like I said, not much of a history here, so let's get on with our first match where your ultimate warrior is taking on Rick Rude. Take it away.
Cronoso here with you again, uh, talking about Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Ron Bass from January 1989, Saturday Night's Main Event. I'm Logan Croslin. Um, here to talk about this match right now. In the opening promos, Brutus gets some time to talk, and he says he'd be Intercontinental Champion if it weren't for the dastardly acts of Ron Bass. He challenged him tonight to a match uh, where the loser is going to lose their hair, so a haircut match. He's going to bring his clippers and tells Bass to bring his spurs. Says if he doesn't win and shave Bass bald, he isn't a very good barber. Um, they go to Vince and Jesse for a little bit, but then they toss it back to Gene after Jesse makes some horrible midget joke about me, Gene Oakland. So, um, but Gene asks, uh, Ron Bass tells him he's facing a man on a mission. Uh, Bass kind of cuts him off and says the Spurs' names are Brett and Bart, and his whip is Miss Betsy. Uh, Gene then asks him why he agreed to the haircut match. After seeing what all Brutus has done with his shears to Bass's hat, he actually cut up Miss, uh, former version of Miss Betsy, and he had... Uh, obviously cut uh, Jimmy Hart's hair previously. So um, he asked why, you know, Bass wanted to uh, kind of talk about this or be in this match and being involved in this match. Um, Bass then says he's going to dig his spurs into Brutus's big meat head once again because uh, like, the spurs like to dance and they especially like to dance when Miss Betsy is caught in the comb. So good little southern... Uh, catchphrases there by Ron Bass. Uh, but pre-match, they kind of dive into the rivalry, um, how, I, I, like I said previously, Bass had uh, had his uh, whip and hat cut up by Brutus, and then after that, Bass had attacked uh, Beefcake and dug his spurs into his head and left, uh, left Brutus a pretty bloody mess, and that's the classic big red X that's kind of over Brutus as he had gotten brutally uh, beaten down. Um, Gene is then in the back with Brutus, asking him how he blocks the memory of uh, all of him getting bloodied uh, headed into tonight's contest. Beefcake says he wants to remember every bit of it as he's cutting uh, Bass's hair and wants Bass to remember the face of the barber. Gene then says nothing will bring the title match back and if to, and ask if tonight is about revenge. Uh, Beefcake then says it's a matter of hair, not a matter of revenge. And if Gene had any, he'd know exactly how much it mattered uh, to a person, uh, what their hair looked like, and how how that much that can mean to a certain person. Um, but to start the match, Bass immediately chokes Bass with Betsy. Beefcake backs into the corner, kind of break away. Beefcake then has Betsy and kind of taunts uh, Bass as he's kind of running around the outside trying to get back into the ring. Um, Bart eventually gets back in and gets a couple of shots in, but Brutus then catches him, uh, with something to knock him to the floor. And then every time he tries to get back in, he kind of just keeps knocking him back out, no matter how much, it, uh, how much Bass tries to get back in. Uh, Bass finally get back, gets back in, but then Brutus starts nailing some big strikes after big strike after big strikes. He then goes for a corner mount punches, but Bass reverses it into an atomic drop. Uh, he follows that with a gut, bu gut buster and some stomps. Straddles him over the top rope in the corner and uh, hits a couple of punt kicks and Beefcake ends up on the outside on the ground. Uh, Bass then continues to work the lower abdominal area, uh, according to Vince. That's what he called it. But yeah, he kept, keeps kind of focusing on the stomach and kind of the rib area. So uh, good good, good limb work by uh, Bass here. Um, but after some stomps in the corner, Bass uh, hits a nasty pile driver. Starts to go for a pin, but pulls uh, Beefcake's head up. Then he uh, drops him throat first onto the top rope. Goes for a cover once again, but pulls him up before the ref can count to three. 
hits him with a big clothesline, and then finally covers him, but Brutus kicks out this time. And then Bass goes for another clothesline, but Brutus actually ducks and catches him on the ricochet with the sleeper hold and chokes him out. So uh, Beefcake gets the win with the sleeper hold, gets the submission victory. And then, of course, post-match, Beefcake does a good uh, hack job on Bass's hair, shaves all of his hair completely off. Um, He actually smacks him in the head to kind of wake him back up. Uh, And Bass wakes up as Brutus is kind of walking to the back and uh, runs after him pretty pissed. But we don't ever really see if he catches him, but I kind of like to think he didn't. But if he did, they probably just brawled a little bit more. But um, I'd probably give the match around two stars. It wasn't super long or anything like that, but it had some good physicality to it. Like I said, that pile driver was pretty uh, nasty and awesome. So um, a solid match uh, nonetheless, Um, but... That'll do it for me, and I will toss on to whoever is next uh, to talk about the next match here on this Saturday Night's Main Event. See you later. Cronoso, welcome back to my buddy Steve. Steve, it's been a while. How are you doing, pal? Hey, now. What's up, man? Fuck, I I botched the whole beginning. I should have done hey now, but whatever. We're rusty. We are here to talk about Hulk Hogan versus Akeem from the January 1989 Saturday Night's Main Event. Are you familiar with Hulk Hogan? Yeah, I actually, I'm familiar with this show, too. I remember the night like it was yesterday. So when I was a kid, my parents were divorced. And um, on the weekends, I'd be with my dad. And we would always sort of have an argument about whether or not Saturday Night's main event was going to be on that night or Saturday Night Live was going to be on. And my dad just always said Saturday Night Live was on. So no matter what I said, I'd be like, Dad, I saw it in grandma's TV guide. It's wrestling this week. No, it's Saturday Night Live. I heard from my friend, Andrew Dice Clay is hosting and blah, blah. He just, he always had a reason that I was wrong. So on the weekends, a lot of the times we would go to, he has a really close group of friends that have been friends for like now, like 45, 50 years. And they've all known me since I was born and they're nice people. And someone seemed to always have an occasion. You know, it'd always be someone's kid's birthday or someone's birthday or someone's anniversary. There's always found a week reason on Saturday for all of them to get together at somebody's house. Which was perfect for me because I knew that we would be there much later than 1130. So I didn't have to worry about whether or not my dad was right or I was right or convincing him or giving him to let me to stay up. And it'd be much harder for me to fall asleep. Because that was the problem also I had. My dad would say, all right, you can stay up. If it's on, you can watch it. If Saturday Night Live comes on, you got to go to bed. All right. And then I would be fighting it during the news, which would never fucking end. Never ends. It would never end. And then finally it would end, and it'd be like six minutes of commercials. You know, mm-hmm. like, and I'm just like, you know, fighting it. And uh, so I thought, okay, I'll be at a party. You know, I know we'll be there till whatever, 12, 1, 2, we'll be fine. You know, because all these parties, my dad be waking me up at 2 o'clock in the morning on the couch, you know, and <laughs> driving me back to my grandparents or whatever, where my dad lived with my grandparents at the time until I was about 11. And then, uh, so on this night, we were at my Aunt Julie's house, and um, I kept asking everybody what time it was. And uh, finally, they were like, oh, it's uh, 11.15. So I went into the living room at my Aunt Julie's house. I think the party was like in the garage. 
What was the date on this? January 89. January, yeah. So my, my uncle had like a finished garage. And in the middle of it, he had this huge like um, heater thing that everyone stand around. Mm-hmm. But if he kept the garage down, everyone would die from it. So the garage would have to be open like you got a you know, brother. that much. So uh, to me, it always just defeated the purpose because there'd just be this like cold air coming in and I create the draft. It's good. It's good. Yeah, everyone was still like in jackets and like ear things and putting their hands over, acting like it's warm. Oh, this thing's great, mud man. Where'd you get? My uncle was mud man. This thing's great. Where'd you? Oh, I got. It. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, runs on kerosene. What kerosene? You know, yep. Yeah, just dumb stuff they would say or whatever. And it uh, works. So I got the hell out of there, and turned on the TV. And the last thing my dad said to me is, "Hey, when it starts, come out and tell me who's hosting Saturday Night Live tonight." Just getting a little dig in there at me because he's just playing the gimmick. Like, he's teasing me at that point. I think it got to a point where he would just say Saturday Night's Live just to piss me off. But anyway, <laughs> it was Saturday Night's main event, and I remember watching. I just remember when that first, like, promo would come up, you know, and, the, like, the little, like, piano music would start playing or whatever they have in the background. My heart would just finally, like, go back to beating normal. Oh, okay, I was right. You know, my dad's not going to win this one or whatever. And uh, so I remember this night, I was at my Aunt Julie's, and um, I remember my dad's friends coming in while I was watching it. Like, you come in and take a piss in the house, and then you'd stop for 30 seconds to see what Steve was watching and talk to him for one minute and then go back to the kerosene, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the rhythm, and I remember telling – you know, people, oh, Hulk, he's going to get the belt back at Mania or, you know, whatever. We were talking about that night. I know it was mostly about how Hulk didn't have the belt because nobody really knew but me. They're all shocked he wasn't the champ, you know? Yeah, my father being a plasterer, owner of his own business, I'm very familiar with the kerosene heaters as we would have to heat up the buildings so the mm-hmm. plaster wouldn't crack in the cold temperatures. Just don't close that garage or everyone will be dead. Yo, kerosene, uh, the fumes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But. This match starts with a Slick, Akeem, Big Boss Man, and Mean Gene Okerlund promo. Slick said he's going to get rid of Hulk Hogan. He is obsessed getting Hulk Hogan eliminated from the WWF. Mean Gene calls him out on his bullshit. See, he's already maced Hulk in the face. He already watched the Boss Man handcuff Hulk to the the ring rake and then whack him with the two with the nightstick. And tonight, Akeem is going to crush Hulk and flatten him like a pancake. They all giggle and say the boss man will be there to make sure that law and order is served. And they all split. So uh, this C-level manager is is going to take out Hulk Hogan. Do you believe that Slick is going to get him? I mean, I'm impressed with the fact that the guy got his PhD. I know those are hard to get, you know, right even, in, even in a, you know, even a subject like style. Um, <laughs> I still imagine getting a PhD is difficult. I don't know what it, he wrote his dissertation on, but. You know, look, I respect the man for that. I, You saw him at WrestleMania 3. He walked out of there with his clothes ripped in 600 pieces by Tito Chico Santana. So, I mean, he can't even beat Tito. He thinks he's going to take out Hulk. No chance. No. So, what? real quick, Slick is, what, the third, maybe even the fourth manager, if we're going to go power rankings here? Yeah, I mean, it's Bobby. Bobby, then, Jimmy. And then Slick or Fuji. Take a pick, right? Yeah, pretty much. They would, they kind of, you know, Fuji's got Demolition, he's ahead, you know. Mm-hmm. And Towers are in the main storyline, Slick's ahead, you know. 
Interesting though. Pretty cool. That's that should we do a tier list of the managers with it and get like you know classy Freddie Blassie and like everyone from that was part of the uh, the golden era. The worst is upwarding. He stinks. Oh, S tear all day for stink. Terrible. Yeah. And then we get Hulk, Liz, and Gene. Gene's asked Hulk how he's going to come, how he's going to overcome all these insurmountable obstacles thrown his way. Slick boss man and Akeem. Thousand pounds of mass heading Hulkster's way to, to eliminate him. He says, brother, he's got the mega partner manager. <laughs> I was like, what? Put the some right away. The mega partner manager. It's like, all right. And she's lovely. And she's going to accompany him to the ringside. And then Mean Gene says, no offense, but I think you kind of need a man to equal the odds here. And little does he know that Macho Man emerges. He says he's going to watch Hulkster's back, but he has the upswell confidence that Hulk will be fine. He's got the man, he's got the woman, and he feels that the uh, the, the powers have shifted in the way of Hulkamania, and he's going to be just a-okay. And then Macho grabs Gene and brings him to a broom closet to watch the match. Yeah. <laughs> those, are the, those are the interviews heading in here. On the little monitor. Probably probably, probably 13 inches if we're lucky here. Yeah, we were talking about it was Prime Days this week. And oh. uh, I was talking about how TVs are really like the one inexpensive thing in 2023. Right? Like you could get a beautiful 70-inch TV for 325 bucks, right? For my first communion with the money, I bought a 27-inch Whoa. Uh, color TV, and it was almost $500. You know That's what I mean? I mean, the price of the TV is like the one cheap thing in 2023. So better enjoy it while I'm sure it won't last long. Yeah, they'll come up with a new invention, and they'll just. Yeah, they'll find a way to jack them up soon. But for now, they're cheap. But, yeah, the Macho, this <laughs> He's got a small monitor here, very small. And there was so much glow coming from that small monitor that you could light up a baseball field. Mm-hmm. It was when Gene would host that show and he'd be in the control room. It was like <laughs> one of those little monitors that would be all around behind him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So the Baltimore studio. Oh yeah. So then with the match, we get the we get the uh, we get the entrances. Elizabeth, beautiful as always, bringing Hulk to the ring. Hulk got his bandana on. It's a little crooked. He's he's eager to get in there. He's maybe he's a little nervous facing the big guy. A little nervous the boss man's on his coattails, and that bastard slick might mace him again. So we, Hulk is a little upbeat. His his uh, his energy is frantic. His energy is nervous. And he just really wants to attack Akeem. So right off the bell, he jumps on Akeem. Typical Hogan style. Beautiful strikes. Kind of a little comedy act going back and forth. But all the ways, Hulk knocks down. Knocks. I almost said Fuji. Knocks down Slick. Makes sure the boss man stays awry. And Hulk's on the charge trying to end this early. Escape out and prove that he is the ultimate, the ultimate man. And he doesn't need the macho man. Because there are these insecurities and these hints that these guys, these two alphas, are going to try to out alpha each other still. On both sides, yeah. Huge pop for Hulk here, by the way, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in Sacramento, the, the Arco Arena. Uh, so probably well, not a lot of... Midget, rest in peace. Yeah, so probably it's been a while. There's, there's a hunger for Hulk in Northern California, and mm-hmm. they got him. Typical formula here. Akeem grabs the uh, advantage after Slick. Dastardly ways finally sneaks, sneaks up on him. Boss man with a cane. So there's heat on Hulk. Hulk is selling like an ass. Ref bump too, by the way. Grabs him. Hulk squashes him. 
ref bump for about 35 minutes here, seems like, in a seven-minute match. But Earl was down for about 35 of that seven-minute match, if that makes any sense. Uh, Macho's watching with Gene, illuminated in, in stature, char charisma, and lights off the TV. He says, Hulk's got this. Gene's kind of egging him on to go to go help him. And oh, Hulk's cool. I, yeah. I trust him. He's he's good. Uh, he he's got him right where he's want him. As Akeem squashes him for the third time, Macho's not in the mood to help. Nope he he look he wants Hulk to kind of get beat up a little bit so he can uh, humble himself. Look, here's the thing: as a Steamboat fan, I always knew Macho Man was a scumbag. I mean, <laughs> anyone who's gonna try to kill somebody with the belt, I never believed. As a kid, I never trusted Macho Man. I never believed the good guy bullshit, and I knew he would turn on Hulk. And I remember as a kid thinking, yeah, this guy, he is what, it, what I thought he was. He's not even going to go help him. He's going to stand in that room like a, like a jabroni. So, yeah, this is what I thought we'd get from this guy. He's not a he's not a baby face. He's not a good guy. He doesn't care about Hulk. He's a scumbag. And then Elizabeth, very, very concerned, runs to the back as we go to commercial to go get Randy. She's Won't help. She's so we get back from the break. Hulk's still getting his ass whipped in the Arco Arena. Elizabeth mm -hmm. finally makes her way down the hallway, miles away from the ring, by the way, in this little broom closet. Opens the door. Macho, he's got it. I trust him. He's good. He's still getting killed, but he hooks up. He he returns. Elizabeth returns to the back to give him moral support. When when she when she returns, Hulk just typical Hulk action fires up. I did love this. Is my favorite part of the match. When he finally hulks back up and he gives him the big block, and he blocks the strike from Akeem. He, he gives me the Akeem wiggle and then he strikes. He does it twice. I absolutely loved it. I I rewound it. Just very good. Oh, very good. It's I'm surprised it's not a gift or is it a gift? Which one? I say gift. I don't know. I say gift. I don't know. Anyways, so after all this, the ref finally gets up and he sees and he sees. Boss man strike him in the back with a cane with a nightstick and he calls for the DQ. Had to save the victory so we can go to March for the uh for the tag team match and we can really get fireworks. But I thought the heat was good. Now Macho, that scumbag you so to speak, some scumbag you call, yeah. finally makes his way to the arena once Elizabeth is in danger. Right. Him will protect. Uh look at to me, it's very clear already. Where Macho Man's loyalties lie. He's not worried about Hulk. He's worried about himself. He's worried about Elizabeth. He's worried about his belt. That's all he cares about. Yep. Hulk doesn't fit in there. He got what he needed from Hulk, which was a little bit of cover in the main event of WrestleMania 4. You know, when he was outnumbered there, you know, got what he needed from him and, uh, you know, went with it. But I think he thinks he's too close to his girl. And, uh, you know, he doesn't really feel like he needs him. He feels like he's the star, doesn't want to share the spotlight with him. And it's getting very close to uh, coming to a head, as we will talk about um, with Justin and Scott on the YouTube next month or next show or whatever. In about a month, on the next Saturday Night Spain event. Or the, no, excuse me, the big, the big, the big the event. event. The main event. The big event. So you guys, that's a little cat out of the bag there, but that will be coming to you sooner rather than later. Probably Two months. Yeah, uh, if, you are a, if you're a Place to Be Nation fan, flagship show, you'll remember uh, the Scott and I having an epic debate about 
medical response times and things like that. <laughs> uh, and um, we're going to try to bring the same energy, not copy what we did, but try to, uh, this was years ago now. So how do we, maybe our opinions have changed. You know, how do we feel about it now? Maybe, but we'll see. Yeah, maybe you guys are more uh, educated in the medical field. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe we've seen some things in terms of paramedics. You know, maybe we've talked to somebody. Um, I've taken an ambulance ride myself between uh, oh. then and now. You know, maybe I learned something in the ambulance from those guys. Uh, that not really a novice anymore. You're kind of a, you know, you're getting there. Maybe, maybe I'm moving more to Scott's side. I doubt it, but we'll see uh, when that video uh, appears on the YouTube uh, whenever it's going to appear on the YouTube. I don't know. All right, Steve. But either way, did you feel that this was an effective build? Yeah, very effective. They did exactly what they wanted to do here. They got definitely a building block. They're taking the, they started with the temperature at, you know, 60 degrees. Mm -hmm. When this partnership began, right? It was a nice 65 degree day in the spring. Everyone's happy and carefree. And, uh, Every month, every event, every they're raising the temperature a little bit, and we're getting close to boiling point here. So, well, well done. Well done I, think we're, I will say this, Steve. At first, they had to leave the door open, so there's a draft, and now they're getting closer to the kerosene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we're finally getting to the heat of the mega powers. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> now we don't want we don't want to close the door on this episode. So I got one more exercise for you, Steve. Okay. I'm gonna give you 10 seconds of two songs. And I gotta, I gotta, I gotta know what you think is better. All right, buddy. Mm -hmm. Song number one. <laughs> when it comes crashing down and it hurts inside. Hell of a guitar riff. Hell of a okay. song. I like it. All right, song. Number two. Opening riffs here we're talking. Please. Not even close! Wait, hold on, brother, wait. Come on, man. One's iconic and one's a joke. Oh, but I'm talking I mean, song, it's a funny man. joke. Yeah, it's a funny song. I laughed at it. It's got a great video. I'm talking the first 10 seconds. Oh, yeah, I know. It's so I knew the answer before I asked the question, but I just want to give Jive Soul Bro some love and, and see the dismay in your voice. I love Jive Soul Bro and I love Pile Driver. I love If You Only Knew. Um, so I had no beef with Jaiso Bro, but if we're talking about Jaiso Bro versus, you know, those things on like Instagram and the guy's head flip around, there's like two things and they lean their head this way. I might lean my head this way for a lot of things with Jaiso Bro, but it's yeah. running into the wall when you come to Real American. Hey, if you remember the draft in the 80s, Golden Era themes, I picked Hulk Hogan's theme. Number one, so yes, no doubt, it's the most iconic song, one of the most iconic themes of all time for sure. But I just want to give Jaiso Bro some love, Steve. It was good to dust off the mic and chat up with you, buddy. We will have to do it sooner rather than later, and uh, 
we got two more episodes before you, Scott and Justin, tackle the big event from February or March 1989. I think it's February. Yeah, something like that. Sports All, right. All right, Steve. Good All luck right. with the Braves and the Saints in with Italy. I don't know. I didn't say it right. Sports Azuri. Fucking right, though. All right, buddy. It was good catching up, pal. See you, pal. Hello, good people of Cronoso. My name is Richie Mars, host of the podcast Wrestling Retold and Relive with Richie Mars. And I'm here to go over in this Saturday night's main event. Honky Tonk Man taking on the Ultimate Warrior for the Intercontinental Championship. A rematch from the previous year's Summer Slam. Now, as far as I know, this is the only rematch between these two fantastic competitors. Ultimate Warrior knocking Honky Tonk Man off his perch as the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. And we cut it back to an interview with the Honky Tonk Man and his manager, Jimmy Hart, with Mean Gene, Gene Okerlund. Mean Gene Ever, the astute interviewer that he is, is asking the tough questions. Like... Is Honky Tonk Man prepared to take on the Ultimate Warrior after his devastating defeat at the last SummerSlam? And Honky Tonk Man says he doesn't need preparation because he is the Honky Tonk Man. Just seeing how well that worked out for Honky Tonk Man last time when he wasn't prepared. And this time he had all the preparation time in the world and he said he doesn't need preparation. That might spell some trouble for Honky Tonk Man. Sorry if there are spoilers out there for everybody. And again, Honky Tonk Man says, who needs preparation when you were the greatest intercontinental heavyweight champion of all time? And Mean Gene, with a slight dig, saying, heavyweight is right. Come on, Mean Gene, why, why are we dissing the Honky Tonk Man like this? You do not talk to the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, man. Jimmy Hart then grabs the microphone, and he says that the Honky Tonk Man is the people's champion. Full pause right here. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think that name is going to stick. At least with Honky Tonk Man. I feel like another charismatic superstar with sideburns might adopt that nickname, but but his name escapes me right now. I don't know. I don't know. I, it, it will catch on eventually for somebody, I'm sure. So they're out to the ring, and they are awaiting the Intercontinental Champion, the Ultimate Warrior, and... When they cut to him on the interview stage, oh, I knew we were in for a ride. Because if you don't know, Ultimate Warrior interviews are otherworldly. You never know what he's going to say. You never know if it'll make sense or if it makes so much little sense that it actually does make sense. If that makes sense to you. So Mean Gene is with the Ultimate Warrior and he is headbanging. He is getting all hyped up. And the Ultimate Warrior is ready for battle. The Ultimate Warrior says, The Ultimate Warrior denies no victory. And like my opponent, only knows defeat. And I will not deny him. Boy, if I had a nickel for every time I heard someone say that, I would have one of them. So the Ultimate Warrior makes his grand entrance, shaking the ropes as only the Ultimate Warrior could. But now, it's time for an advertisement. 
Don't think current day WWE has those advertisements for Cinnamon Toast Crunch and Domino's. They had them all the way back then. But now it's Burger King. We do it like you do it. What, what do you mean, Burger King? What do you mean by that? Just a full pause right over there. So the match starts off on the outside. Ultimate Warrior grabs Honky Tonk Man, who has Don't Be Cruel on the back of his tights, lifts him up to the air, and just walks him back to the ring in an impressive feat of strength. Ultimate Warrior gains control. And he hits all his classic moves. He hits the ten punches in the corner. He whips Honky Tonk Man off the ropes, hitting him with the elbow. An array of power moves. But then, the dastardly Honky Tonk Man grabs Jimmy Hart's megaphone. Honky Tonk then nails the Ultimate Warrior into the ribs. And of course, that evil Jimmy Hart has the referee distracted during all of this. So now the Honky Tonk Man has gained control of this match. But of course, the Ultimate Warrior can't go down without a fight and is fighting back until Honky Tonk Man cuts him off. And it seems like the Ultimate Warrior's reign is about to come to a close. But then, there's life. There is life back in the Ultimate Warrior. After being attacked by a megaphone being choked out by Jimmy Hart, the Ultimate Warrior is firing up. Honky Tonk Man begins to kick at the midsection in the corner, but the Ultimate Warrior is feeding off the power of the Warrior. He is hulking up, or, sorry, warrioring up, and is bashing Honky Tonk Man's face in the turnbuckle multiple times. I lost count how many times this happened. The Warrior then goes for a signature Warrior splash. He bounces off the ropes, but the Honky Tonk Man sees it coming, and he Gets the knees up to the injured ribs of the warrior. Honky Talk Man feels very confident that he's in control. But the ultimate warrior will not go down without a fight. He hits a flying shoulder tackle. One, two, three. The first time I watched this, I the referee was out of was out of the camera frame, so I couldn't see the count. So uh, all I saw was a flying shoulder tackle, and then just two slaps to the mat, and then the bell rang. I, I didn't know this was the finish of the match. But but overall, very entertaining match, very simple story. Um, definitely different from their SummerSlam match. Really gave Ultimate Warrior and Honky Tonk Man some decent chemistry in this match, even though it was pretty short. With the Honky Tonk Man showing his dastardly side by cheating and that's how he got the advantage. And each cheat meant something like the megaphone and the choking of the Ultimate Warrior. And of course Ultimate Warrior being that super baby face. And next upcoming star during this time period. So that was it for the Ultimate Warrior and the Honky Tonk Man for the Intercontinental Championship. Successful defense for the Ultimate Warrior. Again, I am Richie Mars. You can catch... Wrestling Retold and Relived every Tuesday. And I'm also on the TikTok at Retold Richie Mars. Enjoy the rest of Cronoso. We cut to an interview with Mean Gene, the Twin Towers, and Slick. Mean Gene instantly gives them shit for what happened to Hulk Hogan in their match earlier in the night. The Big Bass Man severely beating Hulk Hogan. Akeem splashing Hulk Hogan. What? is Slick trying to accomplish? 
Slick tells us that he is accomplished. The Twin Towers are elated just because Hulk Hogan received another beating. But then he wonders how united are the Mega Powers. Because him and the Twin Towers, they are close. They are family. It's a real mystery to Mean Gene on how Slick could be in such a jovial mood. Slick concludes by saying, it shouldn't be much of a mystery because how many more of these beatings can Hulk Hogan take? What the big boss man starts, Hakeem's finishes. Mean Gene says he's going on a mission to find out how tight the Mega Powers are and he will get back to us before this episode is over. North-South Connection. Welcome. I am, uh, of course, Steve Riddle, back again for another go-around here on Chronoso as we are continuing our coverage of Saturday night's main event number 19 from January 7th, 1989. And I have the distinctive, um, distinct pleasure to talk about a uh, kind of like a pretty interesting map on paper here, and that is between Tito Santana and the Red Rooster. Uh, we get a pre-match promo quickly from um, Bobby Heenan and the Rooster. Of course, they're interviewed by Jesse Ventura. Jesse mentions about how Bobby has taken a guy with uh, very limited skills and taken them to the top. Bobby is, of course, inclined to agree. They both kind of mock Rooster for having limited speed, limited strength, uh, limited skill. Of course, Rooster is trying to interject, but he keeps getting uh, interrupted. Uh, Bobby says that he has taken Rooster uh, as far as he can, and now it's all up to him as they go off for the match. And, of course, Jesse uh, with a great line saying, uh, great communication between a wrestler and his manager, even though there was clearly uh, none to be had. Um, a rooster does get a, you know, Decent heat, although that's probably more for Bobby. Because we learned that Bobby's actually going to be mic'd up for the entire match, which should be kind of uh, interesting to uh, to hear as he kind of gives uh, Rooster advice. And uh, Tio, of course, gets a nice little pop from the crowd here as he's uh, kind of rolling along here, still flying, flying solo, although his uh, his former partner, Rick Martell, should be back here um, pretty shortly. I think he's already actually been announced for the Rumble, so uh, so we will have that to look forward to. Um, of course, if you are... Um, I am going to be doing a live watch of this like I have been. So if you are following along with me uh, via the Peacock, we are on about 48.18. Tito has, excuse me, Tito has just made his entrance. Uh, so we're about to get started with the match here in three, two, one, go. And so Jesse has uh, returned to the booth. Um, and of course, again, hyping up about the fact that Bobby is going to be uh, – to be mic'd up here as we hear him right off the uh, right off the bat here, kind of giving uh, the rooster some uh, some words of encouragement. Of course, they uh, they mentioned also mentioned in the interview, and Vince just mentioned here that the uh, the rooster is actually undefeated uh, since going with Bobby, though that is uh, a little bit of a misnomer as uh, as rooster did get penned in the uh, the main event of the Survivor Series, so. Um, so there was that. So we just decided a quick commercial break. Of course, we still got Mr. Perfect and Coco Beware to come. And also we will hear from Hulk Hogan uh, after what happened earlier in the evening. Says uh, we get started with the match here. Of course, uh, nice little uh, and, oh, rooster uh, almost like uh, almost like feigning a knee injury there. Of course, interesting note here. Uh, we have uh, Bill Alfonso as the referee. He's uh, a couple years away from uh, blowing on his whistle, uh, pumping up RVD as the greatest thing since sliced bread. Bobby calling Rooster up for not uh, getting an advantage here. Now Rooster with a uh, headlock on Tito. Irish whip off. Duck underneath. Nice leapfrog by Tito. Again, duck underneath. Another leapfrog by Tito. And a ooh, nice drop kick there by uh, by Tito. Now going for the uh, go for the pin, but Rooster wisely uh, getting his foot on the rope as uh, Bobby also points that out here. And, a, and, uh, and now we see... Uh, we see uh, George Steinbrenner there in the front row as Bobby is uh, 
is conversing with him. Uh, meanwhile, Rooster got his knees up on the um, on the smash attempt there. Of course, Bobby, I don't think, saw it there. Um, <laughs> Bobby was like, uh, they don't work, fire them. And Steinbrenner agreed with them. Double stomp there by uh, by the Rooster as he now continues to uh, to stomp away on um, on Tito. Ooh, nice job breaker there by uh, by the Rooster here. Is uh, and again, Bobby, Bobby's like, stay on him, stay on him, don't look at me. Now Rooster choking Tito on the mat as Alfonso giving him the uh, obligatory five count. It's Bobby giving his little uh, support here. Now Tito trying to uh, to give some uh, to fire back up here as the crowd is uh, getting a little bit is getting uh, getting good uh, getting some response here. Trips him up here now pounding away on him on the mat. Bobby yelling at the ref, get him off, get him off. Fonzo definitely looking, I mean, I know it's 89, so he's obviously looking much younger here than uh, he would be in his uh, in his ECW prime. Reversed there by uh, Tito. Sant- uh, Rooster now trying for the uh, trying for the sunset flip. And Santana able to block it with a punch there. Uh, Jesse kind of calling the Rooster to test for not using the tights. Santana now uh, getting, get, starting to get heated here. Rams uh, the Rooster into the buckle numerous times. Another hard right hand there. Irish rip and gets a shot right to the gut. Now looking, uh, this is one of uh, Tito's favorite moves here. It looks like he was going for the pile driver instead. Just slams all his weight down on the back of uh, on the back of Rooster's neck. Another Irish rip. Big back body drop by uh, by Tito and uh, Bobby is getting very flustered at ringside. And now Tito looking like he's going to finish things off. They're looking for the figure four, but uh, but Rooster is able to use the hair to pull him off. Good little uh, tax- tactics there. Now, oh, now Bobby pulling uh, pulling Rooster out of the ring, saying uh, Bobby's you know getting really hot heat here, saying um, that uh, Santana you know working like he owns him. Rooster's trying to you know, oh now Rooster shoving Bobby back. You might see got some uh oh he does it again. We got some uh, clear dissension here between uh between Bobby and the rooster as we are now uh we head to another commercial break. Now back in the uh back to the action here. Rooster now attempting a uh attempting to suplex Tito out of the ring, but instead Tito suplexes him back into the ring. Now going for the count, but again uh Rooster gets a uh gets a two again as uh as uh Vince hypes up that we will hear from Hulk Hogan later in the evening, kicks away from Tito. Irish whip, but this time Rooster catches him ducking uh, with a kick right to the face. Bobby still uh, freaking out at ringside. Nice uh, knee drop there by uh, by the Rooster. Now going for the pin, gets two, and Tito kicks out. And you can hear uh, Vince is now kind of saying like maybe the Rooster should be uh, should be on his own here as Rooster picks Tito up with a nice backbreaker. Now again going for the for the cover, but Tito again kicks out before three. Bobby is really getting hot at ringside, trying to uh, trying to get Rooster motivated here. Now Rooster looking for another suplex, but Tito is able to counter. Ooh, nice counter with a small package, and he can't, but he still can't get the three. Bobby, <laughs> Bobby's so aggr- so flustered here. He thinks, uh, oh, uh, Rooster looked like he was going for a uh, for snap mare, but Tito goes around, gets the backslide, still can't get the three though. Give Rooster credit; he's not uh, going down without a fight. Tino now with a uh, with a pair of uh, pair of knees, whipping Rooster into the corner. But Rooster catches him with a boot right to the face. And of course, uh, Jesse come with his obligatory calling of uh, Tito Chico, as he's um, as he's of course one to do. Bobby calling out Rooster for uh, wasting too much time. Rooster now looking. Uh, oh, nice pile driver! 
Now Rooster getting frustrated with with Bobby constantly yelling at him. Rooster going for the pin, doesn't hook the leg, and it costs him because Tito's still able to kick out. And now Santana is again trying to uh, to get something going here, but Rooster rakes the eyes. What about the rope? Rooster gets him up, and oh, nice go! Looked like he was trying to almost like, like he was trying to hot shot him on the top rope, but he uh, didn't get him up high enough. Instead, he cr- uh, gets him on the middle rope though, which is just as uh, which is just as rough. Rooster now looks like he's. Uh, Going for a submission here. Looks like he's going for the uh, scorpion. Of course, he did the uh, the woo like a like a Ric Flair, uh, but Tito able to uh, to block the hold. And now again, Tito trying to get some uh, momentum going here. Rooster gets him with a knee. Irish whip duck underneath by Tito, and Tito clotheslines the rooster right over the top to the floor. And Bobby is just absolutely furious with Rooster. Now Bobby throwing Rooster into the ring himself. Rooster not happy about that. Takes his eyes off the ball. Tito now with a roll-up. And he got him! Tito Santana with a big win here on Saturday night's main event, ending the Red Rooster's undefeated streak. And Bobby is uh, pissed, to say the least. Flipping now. Tito now uh, heading into the back. Bobby now gets in the ring. He's uh, now giving the Rooster a little bit of the business. Bobby's saying that uh, Rooster just made a fool of him. Rooster's saying he didn't need him, but Bobby, oh, Bobby just slapped Rooster in the face. And now Rooster is, uh, looks like he's finally had enough. Bobby wanting a handshake. And Rooster just nails Bobby. And it looks like that uh, Rooster is, uh, that this uh, affiliation between Rooster and Bobby is officially done. Bobby right into the corner. And Rooster, <laughs> crowd's surprisingly popping here for this. So I don't know if they, maybe that's just because of the uh, the heat that Bobby has. I think that's more so than they're just uh, behind the Rooster and Bobby. And uh, Rooster has Bobby on the uh, on the top rope, continuing to uh, to pound on. Him. Of course, Jesse calling uh, Rooster to task here, saying that he's not a tough guy because he can't because uh, he can't beat because he can easily be able to manage it. Oh, Bobby right into the post almost. And of course, Jesse again saying that uh, Rooster that he didn't listen to Heenan, that's why he lost. And now with a windup and another big shot taking Heenan down. And now Bobby finally uh, rolling out of the ring, uh, finally getting off to um, gain to some high ground here. So and now and Rooster getting the uh, kind of getting the adulation here a little bit of the uh, of the crowd here. So the rooster has apparently now uh, just turned babyface and we will see where this uh where this leads to. So so there you go. There is uh, the match. Um it was a for what we saw it was a decent effort. I'd probably go well, maybe I'd go two stars. So it was a decent effort. A good little win for uh for Tito and again kind of furthering the uh and now we have like I said the uh, face turn of the red rooster as he is now split from Bobby Heenan and his and the uh, Heenan family. We'll see what happens with him from here. So uh, that is going to do it here for me. Uh, thank you again for uh, joining me. Uh, be sure to follow everything I do on all the quadipods, including on um, the P2P Facebook group where the greatest song of the 2000s tournament is in high gear in the second round. So please be sure to get in there and vote. Um, but I will uh, leave you now and uh, we will move on to the finals uh, match here of Saturday Night's main event as Mr. Perfect puts his own perfect record on the line against the Birdman Co- beware and we of course still have yet to hear from hulk hogan here on saturday night's main event number 19. hi my name is mark poirier and this is my debut appearance here on chronoso monthly and speaking of debuts i'm here to talk about a matchup between a man making his saturday night's main event debut mr perfect kurt henning taking on coco beware from saturday night's main event number 19 air date january 7th 1989 from the sun dome in tampa florida 
We start the segment off with Mean Gene backstage with Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning, a newcomer here in the World Wrestling Federation. Gene calls him Kurt, but is immediately cut off and told to call him Mr. Perfect. They each proceed to then try to cram in the word perfect as much as they can in the next 30 seconds. Gene asks about a new hold that Perfect has introduced. What is it called and how does it work, Gene asks. Perfect says it's called the Perfect Plex. Gene wants to know how does it work. Perfect says, perfectly. And Coco Beware is about to find out tonight about it. Mr. Perfect comes to the ring without any music and is dressed in regular blue trunks. No singlet or deadly music that would eventually we would become accustomed to. As Perfect makes his way to the ring, Vince and Jesse completely ignore him as they hype up an upcoming interview later in the show with Hulk Hogan, who, believe it or not, will be joined by his mega power partner, Randy Savage. Coco Beware, along with his buddy Frankie, quickly make their way to the ring to seemingly no reaction from the crowd. But with the magic of crowd sweetening, you would never know that. We cut to commercial, and as soon as we come back, both men lock up aggressively, with Perfect bringing Coco into the corner and laying in a knife at chop. Perfect sends Coco into the corner, but is reversed, and after Perker comes out of the corner, he takes a hip toss, body slam, and drop kick that sends him to the floor. Jesse says that Perfect will be upset as he likes his matches to go perfect. You don't say, Jess. Perfect gets back into the ring and regains the advantage by pounding away with kicks and punches to Coco. Perfect tries another whip into the corner and Coco reverses it again, and this time he arm drags Perfect down. Instead of trying to keep the advantage going, Coco just politely lets Mr. Perfect stand up and starts clapping for some reason. Perfect gets to show his athleticism with the sequence of hitting the ropes and jumping over Coco and going underneath his leapfrogs. Sadly, it is all for naught as Coco arm drags him yet again. Coco stupidly lets Perfect get up again and gets a knee in the stomach for his troubles. Perfect sends Coco into the turnbuckle and no-sells it. Coco gets Perfect and sends him into the turnbuckle. Perfect no-sells this, but then fires off a pretty aggressive back elbow into Coco's face that Vince calls clever. Perfect executes a beautiful standing drop kick that sends Coco to the apron. Coco then catches a headbutt to get back into the ring. Coco hits Perfect with a clothesline and then sends Perfect into the corner and then comes flying at him and crotches himself into the second rope. A dazed Coco comes out of the corner with Mr. Perfect then hooking him with that perfect move, the perfect flex, for the one, two, three. Your winner, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. For three minutes, trying to get the new guy in his move over against an established star, and it was fine for what it is, and did what it set out to do. So, for going with the old five-star rating, I would give it a star and a half. That's it for me. Thanks again for listening. I'm Mark Poirier, and I have nothing to plug. Mean Gene is back, and he has found the Mega Powers. He needs to know, is the speculation true of the friction between the two? Hulk lets Mean Gene know the only thing he needs to speculate is, when you mess with the thunder, you get the lightning. And the lightning is the Mega Powers together. And once one brother of Mega Power is in trouble, the other brother Mega Power will show up. And God forbid that the Slickster and the Twin Towers would ever do anything to Miss Elizabeth. But they are united as one, led by Miss Elizabeth. They breathe the same air, drink the same water, and sleep the same sleep. And everything that Hulks felt in the ring, the Macho Man felt also because they are one. Macho tells him every time he was splashed, it was like he was shocked in an electric chair. Hulk says, what about the stick, Macho? Yeah, brother, when you were stuck in the back of the neck, 
My neck hurt too. Macho says the Hulk, your lower back, your elbow, when that hurt, I hurt too. But when they handcuffed Elizabeth, the pain went to his neck. He started choking up and Hulk instantly shuts him down and says, my neck hurted too, brother. Hulk goes for the handshake. You know, Macho, when our mind, body, and soul, as one, and Elizabeth is guiding the light, and then Gene bubbles up, he gets all rambunctious and excited. The bonding, the unification, the mega powers are as one. The friction is gone. They are as whole. A big mega bond. Absolute heavy story as we lead into the next Saturday night's main event. Well, we all know what's going down. But this has been a great episode of threading, of really putting his guard down, trusting the Macho Man, wanting to trust the Macho Man, but really wanting to protect Elizabeth and really showing a unique interest in Elizabeth because whenever she would be brought up, he would perk up. Whenever she would be in trouble, he would get more eager or he would be more kind of... Let's just say doubling down on the worrisome towards Macho. So he was putting a guard up, but did he really have feelings for Elizabeth or whatnot? We should see how the story unfolds. That's it for this episode of Saturday Night's Main Event, guys. But that's not it. Renoso will carry on. Take it away, Phil. So listeners, Jake here. I'm going to try something a little different. As uh, I'll be covering Ted DiBiase versus Hercules from the Philadelphia Spectrum 1989 house show. Uh, it's a pretty short match, so I'm going to have it pulled up here. I'm going to live watch it. Well, I've actually got it going. I'm at the intros right now. Um, um, Dick Graham just said that Ted DiBiase is a very uh, attractive man. So that's how we start here. Um, we also have DiBiase referring to Virgil as his... Uh, uh, when they introduce him on the PA, he says that no one's allowed to introduce uh, my slave but me. So that was a little uncomfortable. But anyway, we uh, we start hot here as uh, Herc, Herc's coming in hot on him. Uh, he storms the ring. He uh, clears out Virgil, laying some uh, strikes into DiBiase here. Get the chain out of the ring. Ref's got the chain out of the ring. Um... DiBiase out to the up to the floor here. I don't know who, maybe whoever in these. I don't. I don't know how many of these Spectrum matches we're covering here, but this ref is. Uh, he's certainly got a look going on. He's got like a, a chin strap. He's a portly gentleman with a 
extremely exaggerated chin strap beard going on. But uh, nice fire from Herc here. He's uh, he's all he's all juiced up. He's going just lame uh, elbow drop. He just hit right there. Sort of a Thez press here. Virgil's back on the apron. But this has got a lot of energy. They're uh, they're coming hot on this for a house show match. Uh, you can tell this is a quick one. They're trying to get it in quick because no, uh, no stalling. They're definitely not warming up too much. They're going straight forward. The crowd's into it, I have to say. The crowd, crowd is feeling it here. Philly Spectrum. Oh, Herc. You can't be chasing Virgil around. Fell right into the trap. Chin strip. Ref. Gonna kick Virgil out now, and DiBiase takes over with some stomps. Yeah, size thirteen stomps, uh, according to Mr. Graham here, Ted DiBiase. So, you know what they say with men with big feet, have a lot of money, and a winter residence in the uh, Netherlands Antilles. So, you know, pretty, pretty uh, standard offense here from uh, old Teddy Boy. Catches him with a knee to the uh, the uh, upper groin, lower gut, I guess you could say. It's interesting. I always kind of uh, does the accent off the top. Very stone cold desk there. I wonder if Austin like that's uh, influenced by DiBiase on that one. All right, we're slowing down a bit here. DiBiase's firmly in control. He's uh Taking this a good sweet time. Still just more basic strikes. Big Rev just called it a, a slug match. Which, uh, <laughs> I think a slug match would be with uh, Dino Bravo. Foot to the head, as Dick Graham <laughs> just mentioned. Yeah, we've we've slowed down from the hot start. We've we've grinding a bit more here. So obviously this is built on the uh, the feud we have cooking here in the early '89. Graham kills me. He says, uh, he says Herc has a hard time, uh, swallowing right now. Possibly even breathing. Hard time swallowing for poor Herc. Not the, uh, greatest commentary in here. I think he's, I think he's solo on this, I believe. I haven't heard anybody else's voice. Oh. Herc fighting back. Knocks the noggin into the corner. Virgil still jawing right there in everyone's face. Man, they're really just doing nothing but like punches. I mean, they're good punches, but how about a high spot, pal? How about a high spot, Herc? Come on. Give us something. They look a little, they look a little blown up here. Not going to lie. Oh, we got a backbreaker. Backbreaker. Or a body slam that landed on the side, as uh, Dick Graham would call it.
DiBiase mad that the ref is counting too slow. Sorry, I'm trying to call the, this brisk action. If you're in, if there's any uh, downtime, just know that that's what the match is giving me here. Not a ton happening. As DiBiase has slowed this to a crawl, healing off while he's slapping him. It's the weakest slaps ever. <laughs> Good lord. Slap is worse than a fist, according to Graham. Mm -mm -mm. Despicable behavior from one Ted <laughs> Theodore DiBiase. <laughs> oh, nice little gut wrench. That was a nice little spot there. Slowest counts I've ever seen. You know, this ref's count Mississippi's for sure, as it counts. Not sure where we're going with this. DiBiase goes up top. Postures for the fans. Does a weird, like, trust fall uh, elbow drop. That obviously misses. So, here we have Herc making his comeback. DiBiase's, uh... He's reeling at this point after that preposterous maneuver he tried to perform. <laughs> Trust fall elbow. Some jabs by her. Kirk is just, good God, this man's body is so ridiculous. Uh, extremely bloated. All right, let's see. Herc looks like he's ready to finish him off. DiBiase's got no answer. Let's see what we're going to do here. High knee. Clothesline. Another clothesline. He's ready. He's trying to move his gigantic T-Rex arms. Oh, big scoop slam. Could this be it? Is it going to be it? Oh, and he, he gives him the slaps right back. Man, love to see it. Crowd dug that. The crowd dug that. All right, let's see if Herc can put him away. Oh, he's got the full Nelson. He's got the full Nelson in. <coughs> oh, got the ropes. DiBiase gets the ropes. Oh. Herc's, he's got him racked. He's, he's got him racked. Herc's got DiBiase in the rack. And here comes Virgil, who hits him with the chain or the something, and then a cheap DQ finish. As you'd expect here. Can't say I was expecting a clean finish. And they're going to lay the wood to poor Herc as this ends. So, uh, you know. Not the most exciting match. I can't say I'd recommend it. I'd probably give this like a star and a half. Uh, uh, I, I like the early, the, the early going, but then it just kind of got in the house show mode a little bit. I mean, they didn't do a whole lot, and then you just get the cheap DQ with with Virgil. So, um, I probably watched this for Dick Graham's absurd commentary, calling DiBiase an attractive man and, uh, you know, his other absurd calls. But thanks for listening. I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of this episode of Cardoso. I'm Jambalaya Jake. You can catch me on variety of podcasts, including the Ruthless Aggressive Podcast here on the North-South Connection.
Okay, everyone. I'm back. I am back for the main event of this episode of Cronoso. That's right, the main event. Well, you know, it's the the last match. The last match of the of the podcast that makes it the main event. Well, I'll tell you what, when you hear who we're talking about, this is the main event. This is the main event for the show because, mate, I'll tell you what, I, I we were in for a treat. You know, since we've started this journey recently, um, I've had the opportunity to talk a lot about a variety of tag teams. And we're, you've all heard my love for the Rougeau brothers. And, and I shared earlier in this episode how that continues to grow as this gimmick develops. I'm really, really enjoying the Rougeaus. A couple of episodes ago, I talked about my absolute love for two teams, Demolition and the Heart Foundation. Basically, my top two teams of all time. I shared that. Unfortunately, part of the match review got um, got uh, some issues with, with the production, but that's okay. We don't worry about that. You got to hear how much I love Demolition and the Heart Foundation. Well, today, I'm going to be talking to you about two other teams, one of whom, for many people, they consider this team one of the greatest teams of all time. The other team I consider probably the greatest heel tag team in the history of the business, the entire history of professional wrestling, because I am going to be talking to you about a match between the Brain Busters, Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson, going up against the Rockers. And this match comes from the Boston Garden in January of 1989, just a couple of weeks before the Royal Rumble. And uh, and, and it's going to be fantastic. I'll tell you what, it's fantastic. I, I, you know, the Brain Busters, it's just an awesome opportunity. The Brain Busters, like I said, probably the greatest heel tag team of all time. Now, unfortunately, I think, the way they are perceived in terms of the greatest tag teams of all time is hampered by the fact they were only in the WWF for 12 months. Prior to that, they were only really a tag team in the NWA for about 18 months. Now, they were members of the Four Horsemen for probably about two and a half years, maybe three years. Um, so really, Tully and Arm were only together for about three and a half to four years and an active tag team for about two and a half of those, that, that, that time period from, from sort of 1987 to 1989, Tully and Arm were an active tag team. And as I said, they were sort of at the formation of the, the horseman, which is sort of uh, you know, late mid to late 85. So yeah, sort of not, they weren't together very long yet. They have a reputation the in-ring work that they are, the way they sold in matches, the way their matches work, they're possibly the greatest heel tag team ever. That is a big, big um, statement to make. And they're up against the Rockers, Marty Gennetti, Shawn Michaels, two guys who many people consider to be one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Now, personally, I have them a little bit lower in the all-time rankings for the for tag teams in the World Wrestling Federation. And Part of that is because part of that is because my personal bias. I love Demolition. I love the Heart Foundation, the British Bulldogs. The Rockers 
to me, were never at that level. They were great in-ring, fast, quick, great double-team moves, but I always felt that their interview skills in the WWF were not quite the best. And you know what? They just didn't have the overall success. They, they, they you know, formally, they never won the tag team titles. They never really were at the forefront of the division. That's just my opinion. Um, you know, look, I will not deny HBK, Shawn Michaels went on to become one of the greatest ever. Marty Jannetty was a good worker, hampered by his, uh, you know, his extracurricular activities. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit like Tully, you know. Tully's career got hampered by what happened at the end of his WWF run and never really, never did anything after that. Um, Arn went on to do more stuff, but you know, like I said, if if Tully and Arn had stuck together for a bit longer, they both gone back to NWA, maybe had a longer run WWF. I think they'd be up there as one of the best ever. But I'll tell you what, we're in for a treat because this match is fantastic. It is phenomenal. Um, you know, look, our commentators for this match. Oh, please don't, don't listen to them. We've got Rod Trongard, who does all these Boston Garden matches. He's terrible. And he's joined by probably the two worst color commentators in the history of the business, Lord Alfred Hayes and superstar Billy Graham. And they're abysmal. I'm really not going to talk about the commentary. I'm going to focus on the match because it, it, it really is. Now, one of the things that's, that's noticeable at the beginning of the match, and both superstar Billy Graham, Lord Alfred Hayes really highlighted, Bobby Heenan's not there. He's not at ringside. Now, if you don't really know much about this era, um, the managers actually didn't travel much to the house shows. They did TV tapings. They did major events, pay-per-views. Major events normally included like Madison Square Garden, but they didn't do all the house show circuit. And so it was not uncommon for guys like Bobby Heenan and Jimmy Hart to not be at ringside when their um, guys were, were competing in matches. That when you're running two or three um, house shows a night, even if they were on the road, you can't be with everyone because normally the stable aren't all together. So Tully and Arn are on their own. And uh, yeah, Lord Al actually says that Tully is the brains of the outfit and Arn is the brawn. Now, honestly, I always thought Arn was both the brains and the brawn. And Tully is the brains as well. Like these guys, the brain busters were amazingly smart, clever wrestlers. So let's get to our match. Arn and Sean start the match. They lock up and Arn, uh, Arn grabs the hair and, and puts Sean on the mat. And, you know, Sean gets up, headlocked by Sean. Arn uses the hair again, drags him down, and then and takes a pot shot at, at Marty Jannetty. Um, we get an Irish whip and and um, Marty sort of, sort of grabs Arn in the back, sort of hits him in the back, and Arn rolls to the floor. Marty takes a shot at him on the floor and Tully's around and Sean jumps on the outside and we get a little bit of a battle and uh, look, the brain busters, basically they regroup, they hit the floor and the rockers are in the ring. You know, they've, they've got the upper hand early on. Um, Arn actually tells the ref to control the punches from the rockers. I love it. I love when guys, you know, they really sort of talk to the ref and, and really point this stuff out because it just adds a realism to these matches. Um, Arn slaps Sean, gets back in the ring, he slaps Sean in the face and uh, and then uh, yeah, Sean hits uh, a couple of punches and then Sean slaps Arn straight back and, and Arn charges at him and he hits him with a drop toe hold and uh, he goes over to the corner like to tag Marty in and Arn absolutely bails and he, he 
bails to his corner and tags in Tully. And this is the thing about the Brain Busters that is so awesome. They they really have this ring presence. They know when to to back away. They know when to to sort of make it look like they've got to regroup. And it makes the the faces the guys they're working with look brilliant, look great. So Tully's now in the ring with Sean, and and you know Tully sort of hits the arm ringer, but Sean reverses it. And now the Rockers start doing those quick tags in and out. They're working on the arm. Marty grabs the arm. They they do a splash on the arm. And Tully grabs the hair of Marty, backs him into the corner. He tries for a hip toss, and Marty blocks it and hits a slam and goes straight back into the armbar. And this is just brilliant work. You know, every time the Busters try to, to cheat or whatever to get the upper hand, that the Rockers are back on top and dominating. Tully manages to work his way to the corner and tags arm back in, and arm comes in cautious. He's wary. He's, 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 he's alert to these Rockers. You know, he's not... He's not just going to jump in. He, he, he's, he's a clever man. Um, Arn does that overhead wrist lock move um, and, and sort of pushes Mar- uh, Marty Gennetti out, but Marty powers back up. And, um, and Tully comes in, and, and they try to do a double wrist lock push down, but Marty flips them and, uh, and then drop kicks them both. And they, again, back to the outside, they're retreating and uh, you know, regrouping again. Um, Marty beats uh, beats a bit more on Tully. Uh, he then goes to Arn, and, and then they're battling the way out of the corner. Then all four men are in the ring, and once again, <coughs> excuse me, the Rockers get the upper hand. The Busters bail to the floor, and and the Busters are really struggling. Tully actually grabs the ring bell. He wants to bring it in and and do some damage. <laughs> you actually see the timekeeper get it back off him. Uh, Tully, we go back to the ring. Tully offers a handshake. Marty refuses it, uh, kicks him in the stomach. Marty hits an atomic uh, drop, and Tully just goes straight out through the ropes to the floor. Um, Sean then hits a drop kick on 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 Tully, um, but uh, at this point, um, Arn grabs Tully to avoid uh, a, a kick. He just pulls him out of the way. A very smart move. He's gone for the big drop kick and 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 Arn pulls him out of the way. Arn comes back in and now the Busters are on top. Shoulder block to Sean. They whip him around. Um, they beat on him a little bit. Tully comes in and, and Marty sends him over the ropes and he and Sean double drop kick Tully to the outside. Like It's just every time the Busters start to get the upper hand, the Rockers dominate and it's great work. Um, it's great smart ring work because you feel that the Rockers are just the dominant team. Um, Sean actually drags Tully Blanchard back into the ring with a fist to the stomach. Marty tries for a suplex and Tully blocks it and he goes for the slingshot suplex, bounces Marty off the ropes, but Marty slips in behind him, gets a roll up for two, but instead of keeping the roll-up move, he has to come off him because Arn's coming into the ring to, to break up the pin and Marty punches him. Um, Tully, uh, yeah, at this point, you know, like I said, Marty's doing all sorts of Marty goes for a head scissors and this is the turning point because at this point, Arn grabs Marty Gennetti by the neck while he's doing a head scissors on Tully and clotheslines him on the top rope. Beautiful move. Marty sells it brilliantly. The Busters are on top. Arnie's in. He's stomping away. Tully comes in. He rakes the eyes on the top rope of, of Marty Gennetti. 
They're punching and slinging him to the floor. Cheap shots. You know, the busters are just dissecting him here. Um, he brings Marty back into the ring. He goes for an elbow drop and, um, and hits it and locks in a chin lock. Um, and he then goes for two more elbows. And this time, Marty rolls out of the way. Um, on both of them gets out of the way and he punches Tully and he sort of, he's rolled to the outside of the, onto the ring apron and he punches Tully in the stomach, goes for a slingshot, but Tully reaches back, sort of he, he's fighting it, trying to keep his balance and Tully reaches back. He, so so it's a sunset flip and, and Tully's oh. sort of trying to keep his balance and he tags Arn as he's going down and Arn just measures Marty Gennetti, absolutely measures him with a punch as he comes in the ring. Arn and Marty trade punches again, and Marty Janetti uh, tries to tag in Sean, but Arn, you know, sort of blocks it. He 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 hits um hits a reverse atomic drop, gets a two count. Um, we get we just get a continued work down by um, Arn and Tully. We get the great move where Tully sort of gets a takedown and on, on does sort of a headlock takedown, and Marty sort of hits a head scissors and. Tully rolls into it, and you get that moment where he's lying on 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 Marty's stomach, and Marty powers up, turns it over into a backslide for a two count. Uh, really, I love that move. I love it when Tully does it. Did it with Bret Hart at SummerSlam in '89. We'll get to that match down the track, but great move. Um, tag to Arn, and Arn hits an awesome spine buster. It is just fantastic, and Sean actually has to. Sean Michaels comes in to break up that pin, and it's. Uh, it's really, really, you know, that close moment. The Busters are on top. Arn, Irish whips uh, Marty Ginny, but drops his head and Marty slams it to the floor. Finally, we get the hot tag. Sean is in and he is taking on both Arn and Tully. Um, Arn, you know, drop kicks and slams and all that. Arn and Tully try a double suplex on Sean, but Marty sort of comes in, helps Sean land safely. They do the double super kick and the Rockers look like they are about to win this match. Marty climbs to the top rope, then stands on Sean's shoulders and comes off and hits a punch to Tully and Arn has to break up the pin. Um, Sean then goes for a suplex and Marty sort of come in to break after Arn came in and Sean goes for a suplex and Arn grabs the foot from the outside, trips Sean over, Tully lands on top, and one, two, three, the Busters have won. Out of nowhere, the Busters have won. The Rockers looked dominated the majority of the match. They looked dominant, and the Busters get away with this win. Cheap win, great win, great win. Not cheap is, is probably not the best way to say it. It's not a, not a cheap finish. But um, it got heat, and that looked – it was just a great finish. The Rockers are not happy. They want to get revenge. They want to sort of fight, and the Busters, Tully and Arn, bail out of the ring and head straight to the back. They want nothing more to do with them. This match was sensational, absolutely sensational. If you can find it, get it, and watch it, at least four and a half stars. The match was – the action was fast-paced from beginning to end. The Busters made Tully and Arn made the Rockers look like the world tag team champions. They they made them look dominant. They made them look brilliant. They um they just yeah they sold for them left and right. Anytime they'd sort of start to get on top, they'd let the Rockers dominate them and and really look superior. 
Uh, they had to use their, their ring smarts to get an advantage. And in the end, they had to cheat to win, which is exactly what a, a heel tag team should do. And the Busters do it brilliantly. They didn't need Bobby there to get heat. They were able to do it all by themselves. Four and a half stars minimum. It, look, it, maybe not five because, it, look, four to four to four and a half stars. This match is sensational. Find it, watch it. It is, look, tag team wrestling one-on-one. This is what made Arn and Tully so good is they made everyone they wrestle with look brilliant. And every match they're in is just fantastic. Um you know, I, I can't fault the work of Arn and Tully in this match. I can't fault the work of Sean and, and Marty. Really, it probably just needed to be a little bit longer. Um, you could have done a little bit more. Maybe let the Busters have that longer, longer, dom- longer um, heat segment and 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 do a couple of false tags to to Marty. Might have taken it up a notch, but this match is sensational. What can I say? Tag team wrestling at its best. I got to see it. You got to hear it. What a way to finish off Cronoso with an awesome tag team match. Guys, it has been sensational today. I hope you've enjoyed the, the whole episode of, of Cronoso. Um, if you want to hear a bit more of me, please check out my other podcast, Through the Looking Glass. It drops monthly. Um, myself and Scott Criscolo, we do a bunch of what-if scenarios. What What if you know, wrestling history changed and, um, you know, we've got a whole back catalog. I'm not going to go through it, but I really encourage you to check it out and listen, listen to everything else on the Cronoso network. It is, it is just great. Um, but, uh, I hope you've enjoyed all the action of, of this episode and we'll catch you next time. All right, everyone. That is the full Popery episode, two part episode as we, uh, ended 1988 and began 1989. So if you were a WWF fan, you know what is next in January, and that is the Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble 1989, the first 30-man Royal Rumble. That'll be brought to you next here on Cronoso. And as always, thank you to the new contributors here on Cronoso, and thank you to all of the contributors here on Cronoso. Your work is greatly appreciated, and we will see you next time.